glad I have a chance to be with you this morning. Uh, but the reason I wanted to do a little shock value for anybody that I could this morning is that I'm from California, and your weather provided a little bit of a shock treatment for, for me. And the first greeting that I received this morning from someone, not like, he is risen, he is risen indeed, not praise the Lord, not happy Easter, but it was the statement, at least it's not snowing. (laughs) And whatever you may think about California, can I just tell you, we never say on Easter Sunday, at least it's not snowing. Now, I live in a town called uh, Santa Cruz, California, and it's just about an hour's drive or so south of San Francisco. And you would not say about Santa Cruz, where I live, that it is the Bible Belt of America. Okay, this is my story, not yours. You don't have to punctuate it with whatever thoughts you have about my, my home state. Where I live in Santa Cruz is more like the hole in the belt of any Bible belt in America. And so the people there are not at all uh, religious. They're not at all versed in really the things of the kingdom. And when God asked me to go to that place and start a church, this is now many decades ago, it's last century for crying out loud, uh, one of the things that I realized is that the gospel is true for everyone. And there isn't any culture or any group of people that can lay more claim to the message of Christ than any other group of people. And I believe ultimately it is as challenging for any person of any heritage in any nation in any part of any country, it is as challenging for each individual person to respond to this message of grace, this wonderful message of Jesus Christ, as it is for everyone else. And one of the advantages, if I could put it this way, that we have in cultures where, you know, God, whatever, and church, whatever, is that people haven't heard a message so many times that they become somewhat inoculated against it. And I knew that if the message of Christ was going to make progress in this community of Santa Cruz, that I would have to be studiously irreligious. I don't mean wicked. I don't mean participate in a lifestyle to say, hey, man, I'm just one of you. But to use language that, that wasn't riddled with kind of cliche images and, and, and Christian vernacular to present the simple gospel. And so I thought, as I'm your substitute preacher this morning, which is really strange, please no spitwads, okay? <laughs> Uh, as I'm your substitute preacher this morning, I, I, I thought it might be interesting for you to hear this wonderful message of the gospel, but perhaps from an angle that, that isn't so familiar uh, to you. And so I've elected to talk to you this morning about a, a concept, it's, 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 it's quite a bit in the scriptures, but it's not something that I hear churches talk about very much, and that subject is, or that is the remnant, the remnant. Uh, most of us, if we hear the word remnant, I mean, to begin with, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds pretty old, doesn't it? It sounds like the thing needs a cane or it's going to fall over. A remnant is an old-sounding concept. And most people, their only thought of remnants has to do with carpets. 
and you know when they're just getting started in their household and they they can't really afford wall-to-wall carpet or a big rug they get a carpet remnant and believe it or not that's a pretty good beginning place for our understanding but I always like to start with scripture so I'm going to show you one of the uh, New Testament references to this expression, this concept of the remnant. And my hope is that by the time I'm done this morning, you are going to have even more um, just just a, a, a rejoicing in your heart to know how secure your relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're still a little bit thinking like this about God, about church, and you're only here because your mother promised you a killer lunch after church, I'm hoping that you will at least understand a little bit more what you have decided to put off or reject. Okay? So the New Testament reference is uh, one of them is found in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. And uh, they're going to throw it up here on the screen for you, I believe, any moment. But while we're waiting for them, them, I'm going to read it to you. Romans chapter 9, verse 27. And I'm just kind of pulling this one verse out of context. Please know that when you're reading your Bible, there's so much more that you would get than just what I can share with you in this brief moment. But uh, here's the statement. And he's referring back to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he's now quoting this prophecy or this declaration uh, from the Old Testament. And by the way, the, the Old Testament was written for us so that we would be able to see patterns and we would understand promises that God made long, long, long time ago. And we would then be able to understand that, 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 that we now, living where we are today, are not just an afterthought but that God has been thinking about us and thinking about what he wanted to do in our life for a very, very, very long time. And so here's the statement that a New Testament writer makes about a prophecy from the Old Testament. And he says this, that though um, and Israel cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel may be as the sand of the sea, It's the remnant that will be saved. Now, if you think for a moment about carpets, once again, carpet remnants, uh, you'll get the idea that a large piece of carpet, when it gets cut and used for one purpose, carpet that doesn't get used for that purpose is called a remnant. It's exactly the same carpet as the stuff that was used over here. There's nothing different about it. A carpet remnant that is a, if, if, if the carpet has a flaw or if it's not made well, you don't call that a carpet remnant. You just call that bad carpet. And one of the first concepts that we have about a remnant that's so important for our understanding is that it is no different than any of the rest of the carpet. And what God is saying in this prophecy is, look, the nation of Israel has a great, great, great many people. But I want you to understand that it's not just this entire group of people who are going to be saved, but it is a group of people within that larger group. And those people who will become the remnant, and we're going to explain more of that as we go along, those people who become the remnant are no different than everybody else. 
They are no more deserving or any less deserving. They are no better than, no worse than. They are just peas in a pod of everybody else. No distinction whatsoever. And yet God says, even though all of these people are exactly the same, it is only a remnant of those people who are ultimately going to be saved. Now, what did he mean by that? What, what is a remnant? Okay, well, maybe the, the best example that you could pull up from your Sunday school memory of a, of a remnant is a group of people who, though they are exactly like everybody else, are singled out by God and thereby pass through judgment or don't experience the consequence of the judgment that they deserve because they're like everybody else. They're as bad as everybody else, and they should experience what everybody else experiences. But because God loves the remnant, they pass out of judgment. So the best example that you might remember is the story of Noah and the ark. And though all of the people on the face of the earth were quite wicked, and God's initial thought was, I'm going to use wholesale judgment, and I am going to flood the earth and erase this humanity that has become so bad. Yet he decided, no, 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 I am going to save a remnant. And so uh, Noah and his family are, in a sense, pulled out and saved from the consequence that was coming of judgment upon the whole earth. Now, another thing that we learn about the remnant is that it's not an afterthought that God says, oh, let's see, oh, yeah, I know what let's do. It's something that he, he thinks about and has planned for a very long time. And I'm going to take you now to another pretty well-known story, but show you how uh, this concept of remnant shows up in the story of Joseph. Okay, so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 45, Genesis 45, verse 7. And I know this can seem a little bit like, why are we talking about the past so much? I just want you to understand that God has been setting up the salvation that he offers to every one of us for a very, very long time. And Christ coming into the world fits perfectly with this pattern that God arranged that we call the remnant. Okay, So Genesis chapter 45, and we're going to read in just a moment in verse 7, but I've got to tell you a little bit of the story. Now you know that, uh, let me find it, 45, that comes right after 44, right there we are. Uh, you, 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 you may remember the story that Joseph was the youngest son uh, and his brothers were a little bit jealous about him. And, and so, in fact, they really didn't like him very much at all and they wanted to do in with him and some of his brothers wanted to kill him and some of his other brothers felt badly about, well, we really shouldn't kill our own brother. I know what let's do. Let's say, sell him and we'll make a little money in the process, sell him into slavery. So he got sold into slavery, ends up going into Egypt, and while he's in Egypt, his circumstances go down even further and further, rise a bit, go back down. He ends up in jail for a very, very long time. And then because of this miraculous intervention of God, he gets raised to a very, very high place and becomes the number two person in this entire empire of Egypt. So follow that pattern. 
uh, sold into slavery, goes way, way, way down, very difficult circumstances. God raises him up to a very high place, and he now can use that high place on behalf of his brothers. So what happens after he gets raised up to this exalted place where his family came from and where his brothers and father still lived experienced a terrible famine and people were just going to die of starvation. So the dad says to the other brothers, hey, go buy some grain. Go down into Egypt, get some grain so that we can, we can eat. And so the brothers go plopping down on their little donkeys and so forth and they're going to buy all of this grain. And while they are there they realize, oh my goodness, that's our brother. And you can just hear these guys whacking each other, saying it was your dumb idea to to kill him. It was your idea to sell him. And they are convinced that their end is soon to be here. And can you imagine what it would be like? You trash somebody so badly, and now they end up having a place above you And you're thinking, I don't think this is going to turn out so good for us. So they're very, very nervous, filled with guilt, and realizing we ourselves have done this. And this is what Joseph says to them. Genesis chapter 45, verse 7. And so he's trying to assure his brothers that he's not going to kill them, okay? And he says, And God has sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. We learn about a remnant that it is a group of people who cannot save themselves. A group of people who are in a situation that except for the mercy and some kind of intervention of someone very much higher than they are, they are finished. And Joseph says, I understand what has happened in my life. And even though you had evil intentions, and even though you did things to me that that in some sense I probably should want to take revenge against you, I understand that there was a higher purpose, there was a bigger goal, there was a plan that was going on that you actually knew nothing about because God has determined for a very long time that he will always save a remnant. And so I was sent before you into Egypt. It wasn't really even you that did the sending. It was God that did the sending so that I would be in a position that I would have a standing, that I would have a stature, the possibility of so rescuing you by this great, great deliverance. A remnant isn't a group of people that like, hey, lucky for us, man, (laughs) we got out of that mess. It's not a group of people who say, oh, well, I can see now that I've done very, very bad things, and I just want you to know I'm so very, very, very sorry. No, no, no. A remnant cannot save itself. A remnant is a guilty group of people that are in a fix and without the intervention of a highly placed person. Those suckers are cooked. Okay. So we learn a little more about a remnant when we go over to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. 
And you may know a little bit about this story, the story of uh, the people of God. I put my glasses on and off. I need to get new eyes or something. Anyway, a group of people, they're the, they're the, the people of God, the people of Israel. And I don't know if you know this, but the people of God don't actually have a very good track record for being very good at all. And sure enough, these uh, people of God uh, end up in big trouble because they don't necessarily follow the instructions that God gives to them. And they end up going into exile. The concept here is that God very much has a, a, um, a way for you and for me to live. He has a kind of a place, as it were, not necessarily a geographic location, but think of it as an inheritance of, of all that you and I were meant to be. And to the extent that we disregard the instruction that God gives to us, it, it, it's as though parts of us get scattered uh, far and wide, and we become less and less of who we were supposed to be, and uh, we, we end up just diffused. And that's what happened in olden times when a king uh, took over a territory and conquered that group of people. One of the ways that they were pacified and they prevented future wars was to take large chunks of the population from that conquered territory and send them in exile to live in another part of the empire. And if you do this kind of patchwork of these people coming here, these people being sent there, it really can tamp down the possibilities of future rebellion because everybody's living in a new or in a strange place, and it's difficult for them to form a coalition to then fight against the government. So very common practice, if you were defeated, you were scattered to the nations. And that's exactly what had happened to the people of God when this story is being, uh, is being told to us. And so we learn now about the remnant, that they are uh, in exile. They have, they have, what would you say? They've just been bad. I don't know how else to put it. And because of their sin, because of their rebellion, even though they are a remnant, they have still ended up experiencing a portion of the judgment that comes upon guilty people. So think of these individuals, part of a remnant, and yet they're scattered out to the nations. And so what God says to them, Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 3, God says, Then I myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I shall bring them back to their pasture, and they will be fruitful, and they will multiply. So we learn about this group of people, this remnant, that they are made of the same stuff like the rest of the carpet. And when they are delivered, they are freed or, or saved through what would otherwise be a judgment that falls on everybody just like them, that they deserve as much as anybody else. And God has been setting up the rescue of those people for a very long time by raising someone up to a high enough authority or a position to make a difference in their life circumstances. And now we learn that even if some of those people who are in effect destined for rescue and salvation, 
even if those people do things that they shouldn't do so that they suffer some of the consequences or some of the judgment upon their life. It's as though God says, I see you. I know you, and even though you have been scattered, I am coming after my remnant, and I will gather them, and I will bring them back. So thank you, Lord, that even if I wander, even if I've done stuff that I know I'm not supposed to do, God doesn't come down with a giant eraser and and, and erase the mark that he has placed on me as being one of the remnant. And when he brings me back from where I have scattered myself, I experience a kind of a fruitfulness. I I will be fruitful and I will multiply. I'm not just going to get brought back to kind of ground zero again, but I'm going to experience an abundance that God himself brings into my life, not because I really am deep down a good person, But because I'm a remnant, he marks me and he retrieves me in the same way that a kid would play jacks, throw the ball up. Do they still play jacks? Probably virtual jacks. Nobody even knows what jacks is. Okay, yeah, okay. You know, it's it's hard being old. You can't not be old. I mean, I try. I try really hard, but it just doesn't ever work. Okay, one other thing I want you to see about the, uh, the remnant, and then we're getting very close to the end of our conversation. It's found also in the book of Jeremiah, but over in chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20. So you get this image of people being scattered, God going after them, bringing them back. Jeremiah 50, verse 20. And, oh, this is, this is so beautiful. What a promise. Here's what he says. In those days... This is now God prophesying, predicting the future, setting up the great redemption that he's going to do. He says, in those days and at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for the iniquity of Israel, but there will be none. And search will be made for the sins of Judah, but they will not be found, for I shall pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. Spiritually speaking, if you, if I am a member of this remnant, this group of people who is every bit as off base and wrong as everyone else, no more deserving of special treatment, no more sincere, not trying harder, but just chosen as part of that remnant, Not only does God mark my passage, not only does he mark when I get scattered and wander and move about, and not only does he retrieve me and bring me back and want to bring uh, fruitfulness into my life, but he says, when people come and try to look in the lives of my remnant to find, okay, you nasty, you sinful They won't be able to find the sin in their life because there is one additional element to being a member of the remnant, and that is that I forgive and pardon that iniquity. And no matter how much somebody might look to find the wrong in their life, because they are of the remnant, search will be made, but no sin will be found. 
I don't know if you're getting the idea here, but if you have your choice between being part of the remnant of the carpet or the main part of the carpet, survey says, go for the remnant, baby. Because the remnant, though it is made of exactly the same stuff and is no more deserving than any of the rest of the the carpet, that part of the carpet that is the remnant, it's like spill-proof. It gets treated in a way that even if you look for what's wrong, you won't be able to find it. And now I take you back to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. And this is where it kind of uh, comes full circle and begins to be, I hope, a language that uh, is understandable to everyone here. Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. Now again, there's a context that you could read on your own, but these two verses, I think, summarize what our understanding is now that Christ has come and Christ has died, went to that very, very low place, remember? And the Bible says that God exalted him and gave him a name that is above all names because he went through the agony of death. And because he was raised from the dead, he now has a power to intervene in my life and in your life and to do for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. And so this is what it says. In the same way, there has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Okay, that's a long way of basically saying this. How do you get in the remnant? There you are, a carpet thread, and you're sort of hoping to end up with a remnant. How do you get there? A carpet can't, like, rise up and say, Oh, I'm really a good, I'm a very special. Look at me, I'm a very special piece of carpet. How do people get to be a part of the remnant? He says, it's not as a result of works. Because if you, if I, if we are as bad as everybody else, no amount of posturing on our own and kind of thumping out our chest a bit and saying, I try harder than everyone else, I'm really deep down a good person. No amount of my own efforts can do anything to get me into this place, this group called the remnant. How does the remnant end up the remnant, he says, it's strictly by the choice of God. The gracious gracious choice of God. Not on the basis of my own works, but just because God says, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. And if, think of this, if I am introduced into the remnant not on the basis of how good or how badly I behave, do you understand that I am not removed from the remnant regardless of how good or how badly I behave? I conclude with a Bible passage that probably many of you uh, know, and if you've ever watched a football game, you've at least seen the reference to this scripture I take you now back to John chapter 3. 
And we will conclude by reading these three verses. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send a son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me explain these verses in light of this understanding of of judgment. Remember we said that if you're part of the remnant, it doesn't mean that you're better than anybody else. It doesn't mean you've behaved more properly. It's just that God has decided to preserve you from the judgment that otherwise is going to come upon the world. And God doesn't just come up with this as a last-minute little plan, but as surely as he sent Joseph ahead of the people to be ready and to be positioned in order to preserve by great deliverance the people, so exactly God has sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into the world that he would be prepared and positioned, having died upon the cross, to be able to offer to you and to me a rescue that otherwise we would have no hope of. And then John makes it very clear, do you understand, that God didn't send his Son into the world to judge the world. Jesus didn't come to say, bad you, bad you, bad you. Friends, you have been judged already. That's the whole point of the remnant. You and I are as guilty as everyone else. And the sentence, the verdict, has already been passed upon our life and the life of everybody around us. Everyone has already been declared guilty. So there isn't any possibility for us to try to say, oh, well, I'm going to really be good from this point on, and maybe I can somehow escape the judgment, or when I get before the judge, I'm going to promise to never do it again. Friends, the trial is already over. And there isn't any hope for anyone to try to get out of judgment by anything that they now do because the judgment is a done deal. And the only hope that I have is that I can be singled out as a member of the remnant, not because I'm good, but because of God's gracious choice. And here's like the most amazing part of this entire arrangement. God says to all of us, you can self-select to be a member of the remnant. He says, here's what I've set up. I've set up my son as this great redeemer, this great deliverer. And if you put your hope in Him, if you will believe in the Redeemer, Deliverer that I have sent to the earth, if you will put your trust in Him, I have already decided that the members of the remnant are those who believe. 
And God says to you this morning, would you like to be a member of the escaped remnant? Could you accept that judgment has already been rendered upon your life? And don't say, well, yeah, God. You know yourself you've disappointed yourself. You don't even need an outside judge. You and I have been found guilty. We have been tried and found wanton. And a person who truly understands their guilt, who accepts the fact that I have done wrong, doesn't try to pretend that they're going to do better in the future. They understand their only hope is to be forgiven for the wrong that they have done. To pass out of judgment, to go through judgment as a member of the remnant. And the choice, here's the frightening reality. The choice is yours. You wish to be a part of the escaped remnant, or do you want to try to just be a better piece of carpet? I'm going to ask if there are any of you who would actually like to make that decision this morning. It's not my place to embarrass anyone. I don't know exactly how you do things here in Springfield. But I just found in Santa Cruz, where I live, people have to make a decision. It doesn't have to be today, but the moment that I decide I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ, something profound happens. I don't necessarily become, oh, I'm good now. But something happens. I'm still a piece of carpet. But I'm a member of the remnant. And no matter where I wander, no matter what mistakes I make, I am marked by God and He will always retrieve me, bring me back. And when you look to find the sin in my life, you won't be able to find it. If you're here this morning and you have never understood the point of Jesus Christ coming into the world. We hear lots of language, he died for me, he saved me, he redeemed me, he forgave. All those things are beautiful. But in our language today, I'm saying to you that Jesus Christ was the Redeemer set up by God from long, long, long ago. And he is here today to bring about a great deliverance in your life. I'm going to ask now if everyone will just uh, close your eyes and even if you're not at all interested in what I'm saying, if you would just grant the courtesy of privacy to everyone else who's here. I'm just going to ask a simple question in a moment. Would you like to be a member of the remnant? And I've told you already that the way that happens is you decide, I want to believe and put my trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not promising to be a better person. I'm not, trying to, I'm not promising to try harder. I'm just accepting the opportunity to be a member of the remnant. And now with everyone's eyes closed, I just want to ask who's here this morning on this Easter that you would like to transfer from just being a part of the carpet, of being a person who is under judgment, to becoming someone who is relieved from judgment by being a remnant through Jesus Christ. Who are you here this morning? Pastor, I would like to change my standing before Almighty God 
and I would like to be a member of the escaped remnant. And if that's you, would you just look up at me right now? Let my eyes meet with yours, and that could be your silent statement. I would like to change forever my spiritual standing. And maybe just signal me with your hand, because I can't see your eyes very well from up here. Ma'am, is that's why you're looking at me? You wish to be uh, taken out of and put into this remnant through Jesus Christ, then I agree with you in Jesus' name. Who else is there? Pastor, you're talking to me. I never understood this. I thought I had to promise to be better, to be good. You're just saying that my whole world can change if I put my trust in Jesus Christ. Any others this morning? Just quickly signal me. Any at all? Okay, super. Well, Lord, we thank you for all of your mercy in our life. Thank you that we are members of your escaped remnant. And we look forward to our redemption. We love you, we love you, in Jesus' name. Amen.